This is the Movie Hall of Fame class of Woody Allen for Thursday, March 19th, 2020. Still remote, isolated because of the coronavirus in three separate locations today. Adam Hall, as per usual. Hello. And back for more for a second dose of Woody. <laughs> Jabril Mahmood is here yet again. Well, hello everyone. How 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 are you today? Oh my God! I, I, you know something's been bothering me lately. I I think I have a brain tumor. Can you help me out with this, please? <laughs> it's probably just Hi, COVID. Everyone. It's probably just COVID. Oh, it's God. most likely that. Just waiting. Yeah. Jabril, right, you're so, a sick bastard. <laughs> yeah, maybe literally. Uh, your options are: you get COVID, and you just gotta like hang out for two weeks, or you okay. don't get COVID. Yeah, maybe you die. You probably don't die, though. Uh, or you don't get COVID, but you got to do six more Woody Allen movies. That's tough. Hmm. <laughs> Is there a gun involved? Can I choose a gun? No. A, no. Oh, man. See, I'm, I'm, guess- I'm not liking this. I'm not liking your tone so far. <laughs> there's a uh, great yeah uh, well i was gonna say there's a great video on 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 youtube of woody allen being asked interesting like personal questions and one of them is like would you rather spend uh uh like like 30 minutes in an elevator with with the power out or spend a weekend in in a hotel room full of cats and dogs and his reaction <laughs> is almost identical to what jabril just did <laughs> I just saw that video today. That's so spooky. Yeah. <laughs> it is so funny. <laughs> Think of oh. those cats and dogs. <laughs> That's great. So we need to explain what this is. A um, mm. couple weeks ago, we did the movies of 1977 and uh, narrowed it down basically to Star Wars and Annie Hall. Jabril had watched Annie Hall for the first time that week. Or I think that day, right? Yes. And this was about a month ago, and mm-hmm. you despised that movie, and you went at length um, about why you despised that movie, and I cried a little, and then I <laughs> decided uh, on some revenge by bringing you back onto the program under one stipulation, and that is we devote an entire episode to the films of Woody Allen. Indeed. So over the past mm. week, you have indulged in five more Woody Allen movies for a grand total of six. Can't believe you had to do five of them, dude. I mean, you haven't seen any. You do not like Woody Allen. Well, (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be a long show, fellas. It's going to be a long show. Oh, no. All right. Can you attempt to say something kind in the first two minutes of this podcast before you berate this man for another 90 minutes? (laughs) Sure, sure. Um,. He, he's a decent actor. Um, I was watching Manhattan, uh, trying to ignore everything else that was going on on screen, <laughs> and something caught my interest, and, and that was his performance. I think he's a decent actor. Unlike Jerry Seinfeld, I think he can. He's he's good at conveying emotion. I think at certain points he's a funny comedic actor and a decent dramatic actor so i think he's got the chops he he has the chops he's not an untalented hack 
he's not an untalented hack uh no i wouldn't describe him that way no no no, no of course I, I think you're right i i think yes a lot of his characters feel very similar and that has been do, yeah. a big criticism is that he's just playing himself in every movie and i don't mm-hmm. think that's a totally unfounded criticism um, no. I do think the characters that he plays in these movies today are distinct enough. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll talk about yeah. it, I guess, as it goes. I think the difference between someone like him and someone like Jerry Seinfeld um, is that Woody Allen as a stand-up is very different than Jerry Seinfeld as a stand-up. Yes. Uh, Seinfeld was very joke-based. It's all in the material. It's all in the observation. And it is meticulously planned and scripted to be about the material. There is very little Jerry Seinfeld, the character and Jerry Seinfeld, the standup. Hmm. Okay. The thing that we get to talk about with Woody, and I, and I want to just get this out on front street. Obviously I'm a huge Woody Allen fan and I'm a big fan of him as a director and actor, but he is perhaps a more important standup comedian than he is a filmmaker, which is kind yeah. of remarkable that this guy mastered three different areas of art. Um, He's right up there with like the the Lenny Bruce's and the George Carlin's and the Richard Pryor's of the world in shaping modern stand-up comedy. People forget that in the 60s that whole routine, I mean Lenny Bruce kind of started this, but a guy getting on stage, not telling jokes, not going for punchlines, but just being himself and monologuing about him the character and talking about his neuroses and uh, all his anxieties was quite groundbreaking. And mm, yes. since then, Louis C.K. Uh, is is one of many. He's the most obvious example. Have followed in that tradition. So um, I think he's always been a performer. When he was on stage, he was a performer, um, and he was also a great writer too on television before he started making movies. But um, acting, I think, has always been a part of his routine, even before he was an actor. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I also appreciate him too. I mean, it's it's funny because I know I've I don't know if I've ever seen a single Woody Allen stand up act. Which they're is hard to find. They're hard to find. Yeah, they're on yeah, I think I've, though. I've only ever really viewed him as as like a writer director. You know, I you know in terms of the iconic element. But it's again, this goes back to something I've said before: is that comedians traditionally make really really good actors. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I also agree. I mean, we'll get into like how distinct these characters actually are from one another. But um, I do agree, like his range for for the character he likes to play is a little more. Uh, there's a little bit more depth there than I think people would give some mm-hmm. give him credit for. Like he's good in the dramatic roles, and he's also good in the funny roles as well. Or just the the or even when he has to show a lot of heart, especially in something like Manhattan, I think it's it's quite good. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm with you yeah. guys. Yeah, even good if actor. he's a one trick pony, like that one trick is really, really good. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that yes, one yes, trick yes. is is insanely watchable, which is why mm-hmm. I can just eat his movies up with a spoon. I I love mm-hmm. them. Um, Adam, any like thoughts on Woody before we get started? Like, what's uh, your relationship with him? No, I still I still like Woody Allen. Don't worry. Again, I had to watch two movies uh, that I had never seen before by him. And uh, yeah, no, we'll get into my full thoughts on that. But yeah, he's still Woody Allen. I still uh, deeply admire him as a, a writer, a little bit more so as a writer than a director, although I think his direction is a little underrated. I would probably yeah. say because you know he's far more well known for his screenwriting than he is necessarily his filmmaking. But uh, a few of these films in particular made me say, "Oh yeah, wow, okay, he's 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 actually he actually knows what he's doing." 
you know, and that's surprising coming from someone with his background, with that comedic sensibility. But it's it's very interesting to watch him go and do his Woody Allen thing, I guess we'll call it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm not, he, I'm not, I, I would, I would never, yeah, I would not say that I'm as in love with him as you maybe are, Nico. Yeah. I'm not easy. He's, he's, he's not like one of my like all time favorites necessarily. He has like a, he's like one movie that I would consider a favorite of mine, which is probably Annie Hall and maybe one other movie on this list. But, um, yeah, no, he's great. Um, yeah, he's on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, you know, I know. he's just—he's one of those guys. It's—I know, I know. Tarantino and the Coens and some combo of Scorsese <laughs> and Woody. Those are probably my top four. Cool. Um, Which is what fair. was your first Woody Allen movie, Nico? Annie Hall. Annie Hall was the first a- one. Annie Hall. Okay. Annie Hall for me as well. Cool. I, I watched cool. that one young though. I watched that maybe when I was mm. nine or ten. Which is insane oh, yeah. to think about. But I, my wow. uncle had a DVD copy of it. He had a huge DVD collection. And mm. it was when AFI had just done their top 100 list for, I think, the second time, which was in yeah. maybe 2000. Maybe it was a little later than 9 or 10. Maybe it was like 11 or 12. Um, but I, I watched that top 100 list and I saw clips of Annie Hall. And so I, I recognized the movie when I saw it in his DVD collection. And I think I watched it and I didn't understand what was so great about it when I first watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other key, too, and we're going to talk about this a little later when we get to crimes and misdemeanors. My father is a massive Woody Allen fan. So okay. he has quoted his movies to me several times growing up before I had even seen them. Um, and I've just been surrounded by a lot of people that really like the cut of his jib. And I sort mm-hmm. of grew into that person as I watched more and more movies, I found myself gravitating towards not just Woody Allen movies, but directors that imitated Woody. Uh, we talked a lot about this with Seinfeld and Larry David, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Louis, mm-hmm. CK, all that stuff. You know, this is just a voice that I respond to. Um, and I just like well, would love to live in a Woody Allen movie for a couple hours and talk like his characters talk, <laughs> you know? Well, well, I've said that too before. It's like doing the podcast with you as long as I have now. Uh, it's very evident that it's, it's, it's just, it's more so than just movies like that. Like Woody Allen has very much shaped your tastes in general. Yeah. I think. Oh, certainly. Taste in music, yeah. taste so. in uh, art. Um, my love of journalism, I think is very similar. It's the same part of my mm-hmm. brain. Just that observational. I'm going to look at the world and speak about it at length in a long monologue. Uh, not much like fantasy, not much <laughs> high concept stuff. It's just real world, real problems. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that. So yeah. cool, cool, cool. your six nominees for induction into the movie hall of fame annie hall of course this is in chronological order by the way manhattan zelig the purple rose of cairo hannah and her sisters and crimes and misdemeanors most of them 80s films two of them late 70s films nothing from the contemporary era which uh was maybe a mistake by us but i don't know i think we nominated six pretty awesome movies I just found a ton of also rands when I was going through looking for honorable mentions. Here's the thing about Woody. He makes a movie a year and has not strayed from that. Yeah. It's insane. If you look mm-hmm. back, the one year that he missed recently was 2018, but that was because the push, they, the studio pushed back rainy day in New York over the allegations, the me too allegations. So that wasn't his fault. But if it were up to him, 
<laughs> well, well, it was kind I mean, of his well, fault. Well. <laughs> Wait a minute now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was entirely... Here we go. <laughs> it was a actually... woody truther in the building. Here we go. <laughs> it was actually entirely his fault, Nico. <laughs> You're right. Apologies. <laughs> it was it... all her fault, you see. <laughs> if it were up to him... Uh, yeah, I'm doing my Danny Aiello in Purple Rose of Cairo. Oh. Uh, <laughs> if it were up to him, he would not have missed 2018. Put it that yeah, way. Sure. Um, okay. And uh, so, yeah, you would have to go back to 1981. 1981 to see um, a year where Woody Allen did not make a movie. That is insane. Mm-hmm. No. So there's a ton of really good ones in there. Um Broadway Danny Rose from 1984 is one of my favorites. Loved it. Everything you wanted to know about sex but were too afraid to ask from 1972. Did that on Why Is This a Thing? Obviously one of Adam's favorites. Played mm-hmm. Again Sam from 1972. Uh, Bananas 1971. That was sort of his older slapstick. Um, I think he was a writer on the Dick Cavett show when he was making those movies. So it's, a, it's broader comedy in the early 70s with Woody. Um... Husbands and Wives from 1992, Manhattan Murder Mystery, 93, Broad, uh, let's see, Bullets Over Broadway, Mighty Aphrodite, Small Time Crooks, one of the most underrated Woody movies. I adore that movie. Nobody knows about it, talks about it. We could have nominated Match Point. I have not seen Match Point. And I me feel neither. like this is an oversight for me because that is considered like his modern classic. And it's also one of his straight thrillers. There's no mm. comedy in Match Point. <laughs> That's so strange to think about. Yeah. So that is perhaps an oversight from us. Vicky Cristina Barcelona only got, almost got nominated. Midnight in Paris, obviously. Blue Jasmine. Um, you could spend most of your coronavirus isolation just binging the films of Woody Allen, and uh, you will be a better person for it, in my opinion. <laughs> well, well <laughs> there's some contention there, I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure Jabril feels a different way. <laughs> Uh, two Woody Allen movies in the National Film Registry. They are, of course, Annie Hall and Manhattan. Um, if you look at the box office, Midnight in Paris is his highest grossing movie, followed by Hannah and Her Sisters, Manhattan, Annie Hall, and Blue Jasmine at number five. Woody has been nominated for 19 Academy Awards and has won four of them. Two for Annie Hall, director and screenplay. One for Hannah and Her Sisters for Best Screenplay, and one for Midnight in Paris Best Screenplay. He holds the record. Quentin Tarantino almost tied him this year with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but he still has the record three Oscars for Best Original Screenplay. That's great. Cool. That's all I got. All right. Should we get into it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Annie Hall is first on this list. We just talked about it a month ago, so I won't go through all of the stuff that we said on that podcast. I will just ask Jabril humbly. You've sat with this movie for a month. Has your opinion changed in any way, shape, or form? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not good. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not good. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> well, I like it. Don't worry, Nico. I still like it. I've actually seen it (laughs) since the pod. (laughs) Oh, really? You revisited? Oh, yeah. I mean, I revisit the film every couple months. I like it a lot. You also have a cousin named Annie Hall, don't you? I do have a cousin named Annie Hall. Yeah. Her name is Annie Hall, Jabril. Okay. I know. You told me the last time, man. Well, it it always bothers me. (laughs) Yeah. 
She's never seen the movie, so. Okay. Unfortunately. What yeah. if she hates it? What, what would you do then? You know, knowing her, she, I, it wouldn't surprise me if she hated it. Okay. So, yeah, it wouldn't bother me that much. She hates okay. hipsters, too? Uh, well, she's kind of hipster herself, but... Oh, then she'll love it! <laughs> There's something about it, though. I, I, I don't know. It might not jive with her personality. How much does the movie share, or d- does she share with Diane Keaton in this movie? Uh, about 20%. Oh, no. Yeah, she's not exactly the same person. Okay. Well, la-di-da, la-di-da. La-di-da, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I think this movie's a fucking masterpiece. I think we should have inducted it last time, but I was overruled by some communists, so there we go. <laughs> it's not... Well, I, I don't think it's the correct choice, but that's fine. There you go. It's not. Uh, let's, let's really get into the meat and potatoes, then. Manhattan, 1979, starring Diane Keaton, Marielle Hemingway, Meryl Streep, a young Meryl Streep, and Woody Allen. Nominated uh-huh. for Best Supporting Actress, Marielle Hemingway is the nominee there, along with Best Original Screenplay. AFI named it the number 46 comedy of all time and the number 66 love story of all time. The life of a divorced television writer dating a teenage girl is further complicated when he falls in love with his best friend's mistress. What the fuck are you laughing about? Because <laughs> it's funny. Because <laughs> I'm anxious to hear about uh, everything Jabril has to say. Jabril, you have the floor. <laughs> so I, I took notes um, for a couple of these. So I, I quote. I, I wrote down some quotes. The interaction between well, what's the what's his girlfriend's name? The 17 year old. What's her character's name? Tracy. Uh, Tracy. Yes. Yes, so between Tracy and, uh, let's call him Woody, I don't care what his character name is, um, uh, she says, I like it when you get an uncontrollable urge, and he says, it's my best feature. And then underneath that I say, dreadful. (laughs) This movie is a sin. This movie is Annie Hall 2.0. This this movie is awful. Oh my god. (laughs) But, but, with one caveat, Gordon Willis is awesome. He did a great job, um, uh, with the cinematography for this movie here. There's one shot. Oh, there's one sequence in the planetarium um, oh, that looks like the beautiful. beginning of a racer head. Oh, when they're yeah. when starting off the moon with the, the craters in it, that, that looked beautiful. But besides, besides that and a couple of other things, <laughs> All right. nope. No, sir. All right. So here's how it goes. Jabril has Woody Allen. I have Christopher Nolan. There we go. Nico has Wes Anderson. That's good. There we go. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, we just all have the one, don't we? Yeah. I love this movie. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> it's so good. Too many fosses sponsored by Nambla. <laughs> okay, here's get where five, I'm gonna quit. Get I'm gonna... five percent off on your next on your next boy this afternoon. Oh, oh God. Enter the code Woody. <laughs> Okay. All right. Time out. A second. I don't mind you making fun of this, by the way. Right. It's quite amusing. Adam, you, you can have at it in a second. I just need to defend mm. this point. Okay. okay. Um, yes. The stuff with uh, a 42-year-old man dating a 17-year-old girl has not only aged poorly, I think it was bad in 1979. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it received criticism in 1979 for that very reason. Right. Uh, right. It is creepy, especially given what we know about Woody, the person... And the allegations made at him again, or from his uh, from his uh, daughter, Dylan Farrow, and the rumors of him dating underage girls at the time. Too. Not I mean, rumors. Yeah, the, the not rumors. rumors. I think he just did. I think he's honest about that. 
Not confirmed, but they are rumors. He dated a 17-year-old that he met on the set of Annie Hall. That is a real story. Okay. I thought allegedly, but okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Maybe perhaps it is allegedly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We we can listen. No, go we ahead. can talk go ahead. two hours about <laughs> we, we, the, Woody right. Allen's questionable right. ethics and morals. Of course, of, of course. course, he is a he is a morally uh, questionable human being, and I don't think mm-hmm. anybody is debating that. Mm-hmm. I do think that this movie though doesn't come out on the end of of statutory rape. Like I don't think this movie is in defense of that relationship. And I don't think Woody is arguing on behalf of these two being together. This movie, to me, clearly is about some despicable people doing despicable things to each other in New York City. Mm-hmm. Isaac, the character played by Woody Allen, is not a good person. Nope. Uh, nor is his ex-wife, played by Meryl Streep. Nor is Diane Keaton, really. Or, <laughs> or Yale, his friend. Like, I think they're all pretty bad people. And the only innocent person here is Tracy, who is young and naive and is madly in love with this guy who is not madly in love with her. But Isaac is immature. He's controlling. He wants Tracy when he wants Tracy and then wants to get rid of her when he wants to get rid of her. And by the end of the movie, she gains control over her life. And she Mm -hmm. decides to leave him. In this act, and and listen, we've seen this in rom-coms a million times. The guy realizes what he's done wrong, runs to her at the 11th hour, and asks for her forgiveness, and she basically tells him to fuck off. Mm -hmm. So I do think like this movie is about a selfish man who is punished for his selfishness at the end. And And I still think, like, yeah, there's questionable stuff in Woody Allen's personal life, and it makes this viewing experience a little awkward and weird. But I do think that the morals of this movie are sound. And I have to judge the product. I can't judge the filmmaker. I don't think he's advocating for underage sex here. No, I, I wouldn't say that either. No. I what mean, do you it's, think, it's, Jabril? You're, you're shaking your head. Um, no, I mean, throughout the movie, like a lot of the ancillary supporting characters are saying very encouraging things about their relationship. And I know he's the sole author of this. So, I mean, it just, throughout the movie, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I'm like, okay, I... Ugh, I just, ugh, just make my skin crawl. I don't know. I get that it rubs I you the wrong way. I, 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 and I certainly feel the same way about it. But I, I just don't think like it's a, it is a, uh, an immoral I don't think it's an outright, con- I don't, right. You know I don't I mean? think it's an outright con- condemnation though of the relationship. I don't know. I don't feel that way. I feel like well, he is justifying it. I feel like he's using a lot of the sporting characters as mouthpieces to support this relationship. That, that, that's how it read to me when I was watching it anyway. Support it, you think? I mean, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like uh, uh, Keaton's character saying at one point how oh she's such a mature girl for her age or something to that effect. Here saying that she's so good for him to something to that effect. But those points are made throughout the film, so it's I don't know. I guess it comes out on the side where it's like (laughs) it's it's, as weird as this is to you know talk about where it's like is mm-hmm. is he even like is that girl even too good for him i guess you know because yeah. he's such a bastard throughout the entire film as oh, is everybody I, yeah, else yeah and i and i do think that that's where the movie comes out on that she's actually yeah. more of an adult than he is um, yeah i know and that yeah him at 42 having gone through a marriage and a divorce mm-hmm. actually two divorces right isn't he twice divorced in this movie yeah i think mm-hmm. so yeah having gone through two divorces um, is is still immature and selfish and looks to control everyone. 
Like, mm-hmm. although he tells her to go live her life, he, he still wants his cake and wants to eat it, too. Oh, yeah. The stuff with Diane Keaton, and I mean, his friend is even worse. His friend is just like a fucking scumbag mm-hmm. uh, who just decides that his mistress is no longer allowed to sleep with Woody. Is no longer allowed to have another affair with Woody. <laughs> I mean, these are just horrible people in Manhattan uh, trying to make sense of the world. And like it is sometimes a tough hang because you can't stand these people. I think you're meant to not like these people. But I also think that it's a pretty powerful exploration of what dating life in New York City is. These are all people that have either moved to New York or that grew up in New York and that uh, think of life as this um, this adventure without an end and think that the world is just their playpen and that people are their action figures and toys yep. getting their comeuppance. And that's a really powerful theme, I think. Towards the end, yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, it sort of builds to that. It's almost like every single person here has sort of lost their way and they're kind of all corrupted. But you don't, yeah, the thing is, what I, what I, the thing that saves this movie for me, it's not that the movie needed a lot of saving because I think it's fucking gorgeous mm-hmm. and everyone in the movie is just, you know, acting their ass off. Um, but it's, it, a lot of like what the film ultimately says is cemented in like the last sentence. Mm. You know, and it's like, oh, that's what it was about. Oh, that's what it what it was gearing towards. Oh, that's what these characters were being used for all along. You have to believe just, in people. Is that the line you're referring to? You have to. Have yeah. It, it, well, it's complimented with that, but also uh, like his reaction to that and just the look on his face he gives right before it cuts to black. Mm. It's like, OK, I get it. You know, I don't know. It oddly kind of spoke to me and made me say, yeah, no, Woody, what the fuck are you doing? I think that's the point in a way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I continue to to say that these characters are not meant to be sympathized with. I mean, you're meant to sympathize for them, but you're not meant to root for them. Um, it's not mean spirited either. That's the, I think that's the other thing I like about it is that even though, because I agree, you're not necessarily supposed to sympathize with them, but it doesn't, but it does treat them with a decent layer of honesty and respect at the same time. I think. Yeah. Which I mean, you have to do like you can, I, I say this all the time, but it's okay to make movies about bad people. Yes. And it's okay mm-hmm. to sympathize with their bad behavior. Um, it doesn't mean you have to advocate for that bad behavior. You just have to understand why they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, not necessarily sympathy in the purest sense. It's more so understanding. Yeah. Yes, precisely yeah. right. I mean, that's what the whole Joker debate was about. Now, obviously, <laughs> yeah. I don't love Joker, and I think like the movie has some script issues, certainly, and it's not like really clear on the thematic stuff. But to make a movie about a mass murderer and a mentally ill person that commits mass murder, I don't think is an immoral attempt. No. Like, it's all about the execution. And I think here, this is, again, about unambiguously bad people doing unambiguously bad things. And just because they are the center of the movie doesn't mean that the movie advocates for their bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And it, at times, it might be Woody uh, atoning for his bad behavior in, in real life. You didn't read it yeah. that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. That's okay. Jabril didn't feel yeah. that way. No. Diane Keaton hates Bergman, by the way. What's that? I know. That's Diane not Keaton. good. <laughs> Diane Keaton makes a comment that she hates Bergman. Oh. Yeah. I'm sure you love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know enough about Bergman. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you when you say that it is the best shot Woody Allen movie, Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gordon Willis is just shooting a balls off. His, oh, yeah. That's a weird turn of phrase shooting his balls off in this movie 
<laughs> I still don't think it works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many iconic shots. You said the planetarium, obviously, also the Brooklyn Bridge, them sitting by the Brooklyn Bridge is one of the great iconic shots in all of cinema. I think Gordon Willis said that this is his favorite movie of all that he has shot, which is oh. quite remarkable. Um, Woody Allen, funny enough, disliked his work in this film so much that he offered to direct another film for United Artists for free if they kept Manhattan on the shelf for good. Allen wow. later reportedly said, quote, I just thought to myself at this point in my life, if this is the best I can do, they shouldn't give me money to make more movies. <laughs> he hates himself, though, so it's OK. <laughs> he really does. So uh, at least one person agrees with you, Javriel, and that is Woody Allen. Didn't Thanks, he also Woody. Agree- <laughs> he also didn't like Annie Hall, though, right? He didn't like it. Yeah, exactly. He didn't like Annie Hall either. So we're two for two, Woody. <laughs> Do you know what his favorite movie is of all that he's done? What? Matchpoint. Ah. Matchpoint okay. followed by Purple Rosa Cairo, which was number two for him. Mm. Cool. How do you like cool. that? Interesting. Uh, what else do you have to say about this, Adam? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've kind of said my piece enough. I, I really should have watched it again. I mean, I definitely have the film in my head pretty clearly, but there are a few nuances that I'm sure I probably missed on first viewing that I would have liked to have gone back to, and I probably will. But as it stands now, yeah, it's it's one of my favorite Woody Allen films. I think, you know, yeah. and a spe- it not don't it speaks to me not in every way. Don't worry. <laughs> 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 but there, there is something about the way it explores these relationships that is just, yeah, it's it's very cynical, but at the same time, it's also quite affecting. And I, I love that ending, and that that usually is enough for me. And I just think the, like I said, the movie is absolutely gorgeous, and these performances are excellent. And it's, it's uh, there, there, there have been instances where it's like, oh, I just like Woody Allen stories, just you know, they 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 go in circles, and this doesn't feel like that to me at all. So. I think that's a good point. Yeah, that's a yeah. really good point. I'm, I don't so. think like uh, this is a major flaw, but there are times where a, a Woody Allen movie ends and it's kind of an anticlimax and kind of feels like the characters didn't change at all. Yep. Um, and like sometimes I just find that to be contemplative and cool and I, yeah. I'm usually satisfied by a Woody Allen ending. But you're right. This one doesn't feel that way. This one feels like there's a very clear arc to this guy's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is one of the great notes that uh, a Woody Allen movie has ever ended on. Exactly. Yeah. So I really like it. But can we get to one that maybe Jabril likes? We'll see. All right. 1983 Zelig, okay. starring Mia Farrow, Patrick Horgan, and Woody Allen. Nominated for Best Cinematography. Gordon Willis again at the helm and best costume design. By the way, this is one of two Academy Awards Gordon Willis has ever been nominated for. It's Jesus. this and what else, guys? Trivia question for you. What else? Oh, uh, The Godfather? Part two? No. <clears throat> Adam? The Godfather Part One? Nope. Part three? Yep. <laughs> Jesus. Really? That's funny. Really? Zelig? <laughs> And the Godfather Part Three. Oh my God! It was not what I wanted. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Gordon Willis, perhaps the best cinematographer of all time. You got the first two Godfathers, Parallax View, Manhattan, All the President's Men, 
And his two nominations are Zelig and The Godfather Part 3. Okay. Isn't that insane? Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, this is a quote-unquote documentary about a man who can look and act like whoever he's around and meets various famous people. This is the first time I saw Zelig. Adam, I know that this is your favorite Woody Allen movie. Is that correct? Or it's one of your favorite Woody Allen movies. (laughs) I go back and forth on this one. And there are times where it's like, I don't even know why it's my favorite. I just fucking love everything about this movie. It is. It's it's like this in Annie Hall. I kind of juggle them. But there's something just so weird and quirky about this story. And it's very ambitious for someone like Woody Allen. It's a mockumentary really Mm -hmm. and that approach is something i don't think he's ever done since or before and i think he does it to like near flawless extent it's one of my favorite mockumentaries i can think of it's much better than uh i'm still here for example (laughs) (laughs) but but, uh i love the, the the notion that it's 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 about the discovery of of a man who can be anybody and it, it it's weird because you would think that that would make him li- like 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 you know like the idea that he could be anybody you know m- means he would blend in and and be recognized by nobody but that's exactly what makes him special and unique but at the same time he's kind of running away from that and i just think that's such an interesting dichotomy and how the movie reconciles it in the end is really really sweet and i just love how the movie builds with the relationship with mia farrow and and woody allen zelig and it's just, it's thrilling too that's the other thing it's not a movie i would have thought to be have been as thrilling as it actually is and yeah i think maybe that's the thing i love so much about it, is that as for woody Allen film it's one of the more exciting ones that I've seen and it's hilarious too I just I just ugh, I just really really like this movie yeah um it is a old school mockumentary in the sense that there's a lot of Ken Burns effect it's mostly shot in black and white with old film stock Gordon Willis actually used cameras from the 1920s to shoot a lot of these scenes um and you I think tell, actually yeah. used the same lighting that would have been used in the period mm. it was that specific yeah, he took the film stock, took the negatives a lot of the time. I think at one point he he uh, exposed the negatives to the, his shower and stomped <laughs> on them uh, to like you know, okay, to really uh, wear him out and give him like that old school grainy look. So they go at uh, to to various lengths in order to make this look as old school as possible. But I was not expecting this. He commits to that bit through and through. Although there is a narrative, it feels very documentary. Like, there's a lot of narration, a lot of still photos used. Uh, A lot of times they use source footage and superimpose Woody into those scenes. For example, you see Babe Ruth at bat for the Yankees, and he's just in the background warming up. He's there with Charles Lindbergh. Uh, He's there with Charlie Chaplin, all these historical figures. And it's hilarious through and through. Um, But it is is a a real documentary. Like, it doesn't cheat... It doesn't cheat. It commits to that format. Mm-hmm. And I was really amazed by the craft here. I thought this was a phenomenal movie. Thank you. This is really Thank good. You. Really, Did really I just, good. Was this my nominee, by the way? I think it was. I think it was, want, yes. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm, ooh, that's, that feels so weird, me uh, uh, suggesting a Woody Allen film to you, Nico. Yeah. <laughs> and you love it. And you fall in love with it. That makes me very happy. I'm I, anxious I think, to see what Jabril has to say, though. I think this movie's great. Oh, boy. Well... I echo your sentiments exactly. All right. Uh, yeah. This movie rules. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. I have uh, I have for my notes here. I say funny, and then my when he's under hypnosis, this made this killed me. The neighbors beat my family. The people down the block. The, the people down the block beat the neighbors. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yep. It's oh, great stuff, man. Oh. I love when the old lady is like doing the the talking head, and she goes, yes. "Yeah, he painted my house. He said he was a painter." <laughs> it's oh, it's man. just like uh it's it's like a darker uh frank abagnale you know catch mm, me in a way yeah, yeah it's interesting yeah yeah. yeah yeah but he was a painter he could do whatever he wanted <laughs> sure <So>, yeah <laughs> kind of oh yeah he what went to a like greek about? restaurant and he became half a greek when he came out <laughs> That's, that's funny. They just—it's so creative, though. That's the it thing. Is, it's, yeah. it's just like it's so like like flavorful in that way. Just like mm-hmm. how it chucked into any sort of weird scenario and just morphs to it. Again, it's like it's it's such a weird idea that I don't know how you come up with that, but it's great. It's great. I just love it. Again, this is this is like filmmaking at its finest. I just love seeing that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was incredibly inventive, and and you yeah. know, Woody Allen is not always known as the most inventive filmmaker or certainly not visually i think his scripts are very inventive but visually he's he's pretty uh paint by numbers this one is a tour de force of direction yes there is so much stuff in here and the movie took many years to shoot i think gordon willis was heavily involved in the production of this and it shows but it it took two years to do the effects it took so long that he actually made two movies broadway danny rose and a midsummer night's comedy in between the production and release of Zelig. So it took forever uh, to do. And it's also important to note that in 1983, this is before they had digital photography, these effects were incredibly difficult. Not just oh, yeah. the green screen stuff, but you know, the treatment of the of the footage like that was meticulous and painstaking and they had to go to a lot of lengths to do that. Mm-hmm. It is uh just so smart. It's so smart and it's so funny. It could be the funniest Woody Allen movie I think I've ever seen. I don't think I've <laughs> really? laughed. Yeah. I don't think I've laughed this hard in any other Woody Allen movie. <laughs> Except it's for so maybe fun- one we'll talk about later. Okay. Go ahead. What were you well, going to say? Well, it's so funny because like you start the film and you don't expect it to be as funny as it is at all. But it, yeah, it's, it, it just, it, it cracks me up. Yeah. I don't, it's, but at the same time, it, it never, it always seems to take itself kind of seriously or at least the craft seriously. Yes. I mean that I say that a lot where it comes down to, you know, like, like, like back to the future is, is not a movie that is meant to be like the story is not meant to be taken totally seriously, but the filmmakers take what they're doing very, very seriously. And that's the distinction here. And it's, it's more than evident in something like this, where even if it's supposed to be a little uh, outrageous in terms of its premise, they commit to it. Yes. Um, I think about the office a lot. Yeah. When I'm watching this, because the office at first sticks to the documentary format and it's a reality show like a reality show would play out. But then once it gets to the end, like season eight or nine of The Office, you keep asking yourself, wait a minute. If you really thought about it, the camera crew wouldn't be with them for this scene. How do they have so much coverage in this one office? You know, and it just becomes a traditional sitcom and it, and it strays away from the formula. Mm-hmm. Zelig doesn't do any of that cheating. Like the no. scenes that a camera is in the room for there is a reason why the camera would be in that room and you buy the for example when the sessions are happening between Mia Farrow and Woody Allen that someone would be filming them 
and it's only one yeah. shot. It, it doesn't break to a different perspective. There's not multiple cameras covering these scenes. They, they use a lot of photographs because, again, you wouldn't have footage of this character. You would only have the still photographs, and they keep going back to that Ken Burns effect. And what the, the narration is pretty spot on in terms of a documentary mm-hmm. from that era. It would sound like yep. that. It would be written like that. And that makes the comedy more subtle, but also more rewarding because you have to sort of dig for the jokes. The, the, yeah. the, the camera is not helping you cheat. The camera is not cutting it to a particular character or cutting on a line or adding a music cue to make the joke more evident. It, it's just telling a documentary like a news production would tell that story and you have to find the jokes in there. And and that's what I think made it so much more hilarious for me. And also, as a work of storytelling, the romance is really awesome. Yeah. Although it's buried mm-hmm. under so much stuff, so much style, like, the stuff between Woody and Mia Farrow is awesome. Yeah. No, I was going to say, like, there's... Because the character starts out as, like, something that's almost, like, like mythological, or, like, he's this big enigma that people are trying to uncover. Like, there is, like, almost, like, a Bigfoot element to him. Like, who is this Zelig, you know? Right. And and how they, they, they take him from being almost, like, that, you know, that kind of, you know, untouchable thing to something that you can romance over is actually really sweet. Like, then that's what I was saying. Like, how they develop that and make him more human as it goes along. And it, 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 it almost, like I said, it just feels like it's about a guy running away and i really love that it was it was i don't know it was whenever i think about this movie it's like you know this does kind of touch me even though it is a comedy and it's outrageous but it's 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 wonderful so yeah what do you what else jabril i'm happy you like this movie (laughs) no this is the first time he's made me laugh i think he really found his stride (laughs) (laughs) that's good so that's a big accomplishment. Right. Good on you, Woody. No, I mean, I think he found his stride with this one. I know he has. He found his stride? He did. He did. <laughs> the man won Best Picture four it years and six years, years earlier? It took you 25 years, but you did it, Woody. You this is when it. Woody was finding his groove with Zelig. Exactly, The Woody. lesser seen mockumentary from 1983. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this yeah. dude is so condescending. This, you hate him. Why do you hate him so much? Why do you have so much hate in your heart, Jabril? Because he because he has my hairline. I think I'm gonna get that someday. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you're not gonna become Woody Allen, Jabril. It's okay. You never. I don't know anymore. <laughs> you never know. Ooh, don't Crazy say that. Crazy things have happened this year, man. <laughs> yeah, it's true, actually. <laughs> but no, it's it's great. No, I think he's it's great. Great script. Uh, good performance from him. Uh, funny off-the-wall concept here, executed it perfectly, great performances, mm-hmm. all that. I uh, would watch it again, and I... You'll see. You'll see. I think it would be very rewarding if you watched it again. Um, because there's... This- I, I, and I plan on doing the same thing as well, because there's probably so many little inside mm-hmm. jokes and references that oh, you yeah. miss. And there, there are. I've only seen this movie twice, and even then you're like, oh, shit. There's a lot of that when you when you go back and watch it. This is one of those like criterion ones where I, I feel like it should mm. be on the criterion, because I can't find it anywhere. It's one of those ones yeah. I want to just have on my collection and just watch it over and over again. It seems like one that the criterion collection would adopt and, and want to preserve. So, yeah. yeah sidebar. I, yeah. Sidebar. You guys should do a, a mockumentary month instead of a documentary month. <laughs> Best mockumentaries. How many good ones are there? Uh, I mean, Christopher Guest has a lot of good ones. I mean, this is Spinal Tap. Right, and it's Best all Christopher Guest, right? 
Yeah, and then this, and then I'm sure yeah. there's others. And Peter Jackson, right? Come on. Bad bad taste, right? Bad you know taste is not a mockumentary. No, that's not a mockumentary. It's a documentary. Oh, that shit happened. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is. What are we talking about? <laughs> I guess what we do in the shadows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, you go. Go. Uh, there you go. Pop star. Oh, it's oh, a mockumentary? Yeah, it is. Yeah, did you see it? Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, it's good. It's, it's fucking awesome. Film yeah, Twitter likes that one, so everybody hated out. on that movie, and it was so unfounded. That movie rocks, dude. Okay, that's going to be a cult classic in a couple years. Okay, I'll check that out. Right. I'll have to check it out too. Yeah, I'm not sure there's much more though. Maybe, maybe we'll do best mockumentaries on this podcast at some point. That's a good yeah. idea. That I want to do that and rock docs. Ooh, Ooh. Rock, like like you mean like of a concert of a documentaries? Show? Concert documentaries, yeah. Okay. Yeah, all that jazz and not. What am I talking? Not no, all not that jazz. No, no, no. no, um, um, Jesus Christ, the what's the hell? What's the name of the Scorsese movie? The Why Last Waltz. The, the Last, last Waltz. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. No, it's it's a the thing is it's essentially that and it's uh stop making sense. Stop making sense. Yeah. We got to settle that debate once and for all, right? <laughs> I I'm oh god, I don't. Here's the thing: is that I actually don't think it's close. Really? I like I can't properly describe how much I absolutely adore stop making sense. And I cannot properly describe how much I love The Last Waltz. So. Oh, I like The Last Waltz. The Last Waltz is great, but... I have oh not seen God. Stop Making Sense yet, so... you the only I think the thing that's going to detract you from is that you're just not a big Talking Heads fan, and it's very weird, but... Did you see David Byrne on SNL last week? No, I didn't... Or was it two weeks was... ago? Yeah. He was on with John Mulaney, right? Yeah. Really? Okay. Mulaney's yeah. a huge David Byrne fan. Mm-hmm. So that was like a dream for him. I think he constantly cites the talking heads as one of his greatest influences. Wow. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was a, I only saw the first performance, but it was certainly something. It's weird, dude. I'm yeah. not sure I liked the song, but the staging was pretty incredible. So, Oh, okay. So you might like that. You might like stop making sense. Yeah. Cause that, that's the greatest thing about it. It's, it, I mean, the performances are awesome, but like what they go through to make it work is incredible. I mean, I like Psycho Killer enough. <laughs> <laughs> so does everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I I, I just haven't, uh, you know, dug in. Come on. Have you seen you that know, one, Gabriel? Not yet. It's on Criterion Channel, so I got to check that out very soon. I love the talking Ugh. heads. So good. Yeah, well, let's, so let's, good. let's pencil in uh, Rock Docs for cool. maybe no, what next did month. I, what did I say? I my my my. I don't know if I tweeted it or whatever, but I said, like, I've I've not had so much fun watching a movie since Fury Road. Stop wow. making sense. Yeah, it's damn. A, it's just it's just a blast. It's great. Damn, you've dude. seen that five hundred times. Oh my god. I've no, I've seen it like two hundred and three times. <laughs> okay, so you know, right. dude, I'm not, I'm not, was... I'm not crazy. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Purple Rose of Cairo. Ooh. Nineteen eighty-five, starring Mia Farrow, Jeff Daniels, and Danny Aiello. No Woody in this one. The only movie without Woody Allen that we're talking about today. Hmm. Nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards. In New Jersey in 1935, a movie character walks off the screen and into the real world. This is one of Woody's lesser known movies. Lesser seen, but also one of those like hidden gems that Woody fans love to talk about. Yep. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is one of Woody's personal favorites of his entire filmography. And I think about it as like the man who wasn't there uh, of the Woody Allen filmography. Like the man who wasn't there is to the Coens what Purple Rose of Cairo is to Woody Allen. 
That's um, cool. Yeah. Didn't really do that well at the box office, but critics really liked it. And over the years has become sort of the underrated gem. It's an interesting analogy. Yeah. yeah. This is the first time I watched Purple Rose of Cairo, along with Zelig. And um, I thought that it was uh, pretty damn delightful, although I acknowledge that it is lesser woody. Do you guys agree? Mm-hmm. Mm, yes. Yeah. I like it a little more than that. Okay. Yeah. It's better than Manhattan. <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> Ooh. No, it's good. I liked it yeah. a lot. Okay. Good, good, good. Yeah, because I yeah. think it's really yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it technically lesser known, Woody? I mean, maybe. Uh, like you mean in just understanding why it's lesser known, Woody? Yeah, I, I'm, I just don't think that it's on the top tier. That's all. I mean, everybody talks about Hannah and her sisters, and and Manhattan and Annie Hall, and I guess Match Point to a certain extent, um, and Crimes and Misdemeanors too. I just don't think that this one is brought up when you talk about his best. Um, although it's very, very good and. I, I don't think that it had as much to say as the other five movies on this list. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's keeping me back from loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It was just less ambitious. There's nothing wrong with a lack of ambition sometimes. I think it's totally fine to just tell a self-contained story and get in and get out. And that's what this movie does. It's only an hour and 22 minutes. That's the other thing about Woody, man. And, and Jabril, you have to appreciate that at the very least. Mm-hmm. He's not indulgent in the runtime. It's nice he's very and short. Igmar, yeah. He's very Igmar Bergman in that way. Right. Get in and get he out. Made, exactly. <laughs> no, this this was a good movie. I liked it a lot. Jeff Daniels is awesome in this. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. You thought so? No. Oh, God, yeah. He's like mm-hmm. one of my favorite part of the entire movie. I I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily say the movie has nothing. You think it has nothing to say? No, I don't. No, no, say. certainly not. I just think it has less to say than, say, Hannah and her sisters. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very focused on film as escapism. Yes, mm-hmm. more than anything, and that's the thing I appreciate about it more than anything because there aren't a lot of films that do it as thoroughly as this one does. And I, I guess, like that's kind of what I appreciated about it. I mean, I like. I obviously, I mean, I could talk about Blade Runner till the cows come home. So I like movies that say a lot of shit. But uh, when a movie like laser focuses on an idea like this, I also like that as well. So there, I, I kind of appreciated that where it's like it's going to cut out all the fat. It's just going to focus on what film does to people when it's really all they have. And that actually resonated quite deeply with me. So this movie is elevated a bit more because I do connect to it in that way. Yeah. I And I have no problem with it either. I think like that is a pretty powerful theme for guys like us, certainly, <laughs> yes. um, as someone that is in you know, fits of rage or sadness has flipped on a movie and just tried to escape into it. Like I, I relate to that and I'm sure Woody has had that experience several times. I mean, there's a scene from Hannah and her sisters that implies a a similar thing, which is life's got you down. I'm just going to go to the movies and see what's playing. And that's what Mia Farrow does in this movie. So much so that she sees the same movie over and over and over again. Speaking of Mad Max Fury road. Um, Oh Yeah. (laughs) And I've yeah. actually never seen the movie, guys. Okay, I've actually that seen would, the movie. Yeah. Man, that would be quite a flex. You just came <laughs> in one day. <laughs> is that the one? Fury Road. Is that the one with Tina Turner and and the little Peter Pan kids? Imagine if I just quizzed you on the plot of Mad Max Fury Road and you couldn't give me anything. I've just been taking you at your word. <laughs> is that the one where Jeff Daniels pops out of the screen? Is that Fury Road? <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, no, that's an awesome theme. And by the end of it, I think it's a it's a pretty nice message, which is yeah, the yep. movies will always give you a place to escape, but you have to draw that line at some point because mm-hmm. the real world is still there, and you still have to deal with real world problems. Um, yep. And that's a really poignant, awesome theme that was simply put and simply told, and I really like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I will and say I, I didn't love Jeff Daniels in the movie. No. Um, I'm not the biggest Jeff Daniels fan. I, I like him in some movies and dislike him in others. Um, I read in my research though that Michael Keaton was originally cast in this role. Mm-hmm. Okay. Shot ten days, and then Woody said that it wasn't working, and he let him go. He's too wild. I, I don't think he would have fit. Yeah. Yeah. He, Jeff Daniels kind of works. Kind of works for this. You think? I mean, he's he's definitely more Woody's speed. Mm-hmm. That's certainly true. Uh, huh. Yeah, I don't know if I would have. Yeah, I actually kind of agree with that decision. See, he's I, better I, at I, smoldering. Sorry, he's better at smoldering than Keaton. I, like, I I can't picture him in this role. He's too wiry. So he's. Yeah, I agree. I found myself like when I heard that, just imagining the movie with Michael Keaton in it, and I was way more mm. excited. Mm. And maybe that's a, the wrong instinct, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe Jeff Daniels is better at playing dumb, and I guess that's one of the reasons why he's good in this. I wouldn't say he's playing dumb, though. Well, not he's playing naive, certainly. Yeah, sure, but the character is literally someone being transported out of a screen. It's 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 very fantastical. It's hard to really compare that, I suppose. But Maybe I didn't buy him as much as the douchebag actor. <laughs> as oh really yeah maybe that's what it was uh do you not like him in the newsroom oh i fucking love him in the newsroom what they're not that much different <laughs> <laughs> man he is such a pompous ass in the newsroom by the way yeah. the newsroom was one of the forgotten television shows of the 21st century y'all newsroom was popping people no, shit pe- on the newsroom a lot well, maybe now, but they, they I remember people loving it when it was out. I adored it when it was out, but I remember critics not liking it. I remember critics hmm. thinking that it was too preachy and too sentimental. And I'm like, yeah, his name is Aaron fucking Sorkin. <laughs> what, have, what have you come to expect yeah. other than schmaltz and preachiness? I, I, <laughs> I, I'd love Newsroom. Oh, my God. It's great. Yeah. His, his character's kind of reflected in... What, what the hell's the actor's name? Like, the actual character's name. I always forget. Tom Baxter? Or is that the character? That's that, the character. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't remember the actor. Yeah. Tom Baxter. But, yeah, maybe but I, I just don't good, buy dude. him as that. I, I thought he was okay. I, I, again, can't unsee this Michael Keaton thing now. I kind of want to see what well, Michael Keaton would have done. I think he would have been a more dynamic performance. I, yeah, see, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... Eh. I don't know. I I mean, yeah, he's more di- he's dynamic in a sense, but I don't know if that's fitting for this character. It's not. It's not to say that Jeff Daniels is not dynamic, though. I mean, he's a little more nuanced, in my opinion. I think he's less nuanced. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, no, I, do, I disagree I with that. Think it, I, I do think it's the complete opposite. I think Jeff Daniels is best when he's using a hammer and not and not a spoon. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think he's better in something like the newsroom, which is just hitting you over the head with politics or in something like squid and the whale, where he's just an over the top dickwad. Yeah. Where in this, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if, if subtlety works for him. 
Mm. He's got kind I of don't... a boyish charm. He's got kind of a boyish charm that works. I don't think Keaton yeah. really has that. I mean, he's I, that's the thing. It's like he's very charismatic. Like he certainly plays like a like a leading man. I would say better than something like like the traditional Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton always plays sort of the the quirky goof that's very troubled. Yeah, I don't know. You know, he's he's fucking Beetlejuice and Batman and and, and Regan Regan Thomas. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I he know, was not, that way though. But then I don't know. Like he he did spotlight. And I think later in his career he sort of developed that other gear. I guess I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't. See, I actually do not see Michael Keaton in this role very well. Okay. Well, we'll disagree mm. on that. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I also just think like it's a really inventive idea in terms of screenwriting to create not only a character, but have that character be separate and apart from the actor that played them. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's such an interesting like deconstruction of actor bullshit. Yeah, you know, because actors always talk about their characters as though they're different people, and you know, even when they're in character, they refer to the person as her or him, and so to actually see that manifest itself on screen is just like a really interesting philosophical idea of you have the actor and you have the character, and they're two different beings played by the same person. Uh, It's just really interesting. Adam, a a question, a question for you. So, would you agree? Is this? reminiscent of cinema parody so i've not seen it I, I i get peripherally does this seem similar to that film or any federico fellini films uh i think it's closer to fellini probably i mean cinema parody so is much more about like the relationship between i think the the a father and a son in a lot okay. of ways whereas okay. like th- this this is i mean I mean, in a way, it is hard for me to even describe it like as Fellini, but I, I guess maybe. I mean, Eight and a Half has sort of drawn some comparisons with some of Woody Allen's films, I suppose. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's a little more unique to itself. Yeah, yeah. Like kind of the magical realism, because I know he's big on that. Well, that is. I mean, if 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 you're to draw any comparisons, then it would certainly be that, I suppose, especially mm-hmm. with something like Eight and a Half. Right. Okay. So. Cool. Purple Rose of Cairo. There it is. It's good. It's good. Good movie. Yeah. I like. It I a agree. Lot. It is a good movie. <laughs> it's Woody a Allen film. makes a lot of them. Yeah, he also it's makes debatable. a lot of bad movies, though. Yeah, of he course makes, he does. He, he makes a lot of movies. So yeah, that's that's that. the rule. Yeah. Hannah and her sisters from 1986 stars Michael Caine, Mia Farrow, Barbara Hershey, Diane Weist. Max von Sydow, the late great Max von Sydow, Carrie Fisher, and Woody Allen. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Michael Caine is the nominee there. Best Supporting Actress, I'm sorry, not nominated, one. Mm-hmm. One Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress for Diane Weist, and Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. Was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Art Direction, and Best Film Editing. Between two Thanksgivings, two years apart, Hannah's husband falls in love with her sister, Lee, while also while her hypochondriac ex-husband rekindles his relationship with her sister, Holly. Uh, Amongst the names that make small cameos in this movie or have minor roles, Sam Waterston, Daniel Stern, Richard Jenkins, Fred Malamed, Louis Black, Joanna Gleason, John Turturro. And blink and you miss her, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Damn, they all have minor appearances in this movie. Uh, Y'all watch this one for the first time. 
Am I yep. correct? Yep. Talk to me. Uh, uh, you go first, Adam. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm much more anxious to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I'll read you some of my notes. Oh, I boy. say, Michael Caine, not insufferable. Pacing of jokes is good. Max von Sydow, Daniel Stern. Alan is much more pathetic and somewhat more likable than his previous efforts. Hope he dies a miserable death. <laughs> and then I also say at the end here, Avengers Endgame end credit song when Kane and Hershey dance. Weird. Okay. I can't tell if that's positive or not. <laughs> Wait, is that the same song? Yeah. When Cap and What's-Her-Name are dancing. Yeah. Oh, really? Whatever that song is, yeah. Yeah. The Russo's, plus, dude. Two thumbs up. There we go. There yeah. we go. All right. You did it, Woody. You did it again. Only two movies out of 40 years, but you did it, kid. <laughs> you made a good movie, kid. Dad. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know the yeah. Russo brothers paid homage to this movie in Avengers. I'm still hung up on that. Yeah. They have bad taste. What can you say? Oh, boy. Dude, Avengers <laughs> Endgame, man. I think we I think we jumped to judgment with that movie too soon. <laughs> <laughs> if as long as it relates to this. All right. I think so. Uh Mr. Hall, what say you? It's fine. It's fine. Oh no. <laughs> it's fine. I don't know. I wasn't loving it. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I didn't I didn't yeah, I didn't love it. It was it was good. Like everything about it is 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 well done and uh I mean, part of the problem as well is that I watched this back to back with um, um, Crimes and Misdemeanors, and I was like, "Oh, it's the same movie." But um, oh, that's, that's fine. not fair! <laughs> Stop! Uh, Stop it felt, right now! They felt identical to me. That is and, that is absurd. That is an absurd nah, statement you just said. Nah. And I was getting frustrated. I'm like, okay, well, it, it was it was the instance where I was like, all right, yeah, like the repetition with Woody Allen films sometimes blends together if he's, you know, doing films of this subject matter, I guess. And like, I don't know all the common threads with the level of infidelity going on and the uncertainties of certain relationships. And it's just like, I didn't get much out of it. If I'm being completely honest, if anything. Mm. Yeah. Wow. This it's fine. Weird. Like it, it's a good movie. It's just, you know, and maybe I should revisit it. Cause I feel like I should like it more than I do, but it's fine. It's okay. Uh, this is widely considered his second best movie, I think. If you polled 100 critics, they would probably put this one at number two. Um, okay. I uh, am pretty stunned that this is how you two came out of your viewings. <laughs> I thought that Jabril would kind of be lukewarm, and I thought that you would love it, to be honest with you, Adam, and I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, no, it, it said didn't say anything to me. It was, it, I'm, sure, I'm sure it works well for other people. I, I don't know what to say about it. Part of the film's structure and background is borrowed from Ingmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander. In both films, a large theatrical family gather for three successive year celebrations. In Woody Allen's movie, it's Thanksgiving, and in Bergman's movie, it's Christmas. Uh, so this is a uh, this is a tradition that is well known, and Woody is paying homage. To Bergman here, so does that help, Adam? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I think this movie is an absolute masterpiece. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm really confused. I think these characters are amazing. I think 
the the final scene is so touching and it's like one of his most like optimistic uncynical endings and i that just really speaks to me there there is not sure. an ounce of cynicism or or malice in that final shot there's just nothing but love and affection and happiness and like mm-hmm. the movie is certainly a bumpy road to that point like it's not like a a sunshines and rainbows movie before that final scene but uh like that just really gets me every time i watch it i love the interplay between these characters i love the structure of putting the title cards in between scenes to sort of make them each their individual vignettes there's a lot of balls in the air here he's juggling a ton of stuff there's a lot of plot there are a lot of characters that interweave but it never feels too much never feels confusing yeah, I just think like this is a freaking masterpiece and it's just like a masterwork of screenwriting and everything you need to know about writing a screenplay is here for you. Character motivations, plot structure, um yeah, it's it's all here with great acting and uh, good cinematography and uh yeah, I'm really confused. What didn't speak to you? I'm really confused about this. I, I I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've been been taken down this route with a Woody Allen film before. I don't know. It just felt like I I got everything I could possibly get out of other movies he's done. I guess it just felt like 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 I don't know. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> not not repetitive. It's it's just he's going back to his old tricks here, and I don't know. It wasn't working for me. Maybe it's because of his subplot i guess or at least you know the, the the whole thing with him trying to figure out the in- instance with the tumor and i'm just felt like it was wasting time and i understand like it's it's supposed to be this this existential crisis that he goes on but i was like i just didn't care i don't know blah wow well i liked yeah. it good for you <laughs> nothing wrong with that and i michael, would never criticize anybody for liking it michael kane is awesome he is awesome in this oh yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Won an Oscar for it. Um, Indeed. Yeah, yeah, the whole cast is really good. And again, like not all these people are great people. This is one of the few Woody characters, and I think we were talking about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, like this character is fairly different than his other characters. This guy is is genuinely a good guy. He's a bit self loathing, but he's well intentioned. Unlike his other characters, and he's very easy to root for, and you understand his his existential dread. I got Louis vibes off of this. This is the first one that really made me that clicked for me and made me. Oh, okay, this is where you got it from. Okay, mm-hmm. this this is the this is the pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, and I'm, I'm sure Woody, uh, Louis has been influenced by this movie heavily. Mm. I, I'm just really impressed by the scope of this movie. Mm-hmm. I am impressed by how epic it is, how many characters there are in this cast and how the stories interweave and play off one another and bounce off one another. It's just like a great piece of music. It's just like a, a well orchestrated machine. Uh, and as we said before, Woody movies tend to have a very small scope and they tend to be very focused. Uh, and this movie is not that this movie, he's really swinging for the fences and he's talking a lot about different ideas, infidelity, but also, yeah, mortality, uh, family, the relationship between sisters, um, the nature of love, um, the stuff with Max von Sydow, although 
quiet and small is very good. The deconstruction of that relationship. Um, and, and, you know, how many good sister movies are there? There's like none. Name there's a good the, sister movie. There's the Brian De Palma film Sisters. Uh, to say. <laughs> what else you got? There's the show Sister Sister with Tia and Tamara Mowry. What else you got? Uh, uh, Little Women? Are these sisters? There you yeah. go. There that's you go. Good, that's a good oh. choice. There's one. Fried Another. Green Tomatoes. Is that Ooh, one? That's a good... I like that one. Good oh, call. Still, Magnol- Still Magnolias, I guess, if that's about sisters. There you sisters. go. Um, Moonstruck in a way. Yeah, kinda. But, yeah. Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Pants Sisters. There you go. The Lovely yeah. Bones. Um, the Invisible Man. <laughs> oh, <boy>. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> oh, boy, does that take a turn. Point uh, B, so, yeah. no good sister movies. We- <laughs> <laughs> That's my point. Okay. So the movie deserves <laughs> to be celebrated for that. Also, um, I will say this. I have three cousins. They, o- they only have two siblings each. There are three sisters. And um, they are very much like these three women. And I think about them a lot every time I watch this movie. Their interplay, the way the, their closeness, how they speak to one another, how they so openly criticize one another and are yeah. honest, like they're just one brain, one like organism operating at the same time. Um, like that just really speaks to me. I, I, I feel like I know a lot of people in this movie. Okay. I appreciated Woody uh, being taken to a punk club and storming out. <laughs> Yeah, that that was fun. Good that was stuff. great. Good stuff. <laughs> I will say one person that didn't like this movie, Mia Farrow, <laughs> um, talked about this. I think many years after the fact, but mm. when she first read this script, she saw a lot of elements from her and Woody's personal life in the story. Apparently, this was heavily autobiographical, and a lot of stuff was borrowed and, in Mia's words, exploited um, mm. for the sake of the movie. I think she believes that Woody had the hots for her sister and just admitted that in the script, which is kind of a, a sad thing, I guess. But yeah. Poor Mia Farrow. <laughs> Turns oh, out no. Woody Allen, creepy guy. No Ooh. shit. Yeah. Had to deal with Frank Sinatra and Woody Allen. Man, it's a tough one to punch. Yeah. It's a tough one to punch. Literally. Ain't that a kick? Ain't, oh, no, I don't think literally, was it? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. With Frank. Ain't, ain't that a kick in the head? Um, it is. <laughs> let's move on. My goodness. Crimes and Misdemeanors. 1989. Starring Martin Landau, Angelica Houston, Mia Farrow, Alan Alda, and Woody Allen. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Martin Landau is the nominee there. Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. An ophthalmologist's mistress threatens to reveal their affair to his wife while a married documentary filmmaker is infatuated with another woman. Uh, Gentlemen, this is my favorite Woody Allen film. Wow. Oh, boy. Nice. So let me have it. What do you mean, let you have it? I don't know. What'd you think of it? <laughs> oh God! Can I Adam, um, stop, Adam? Don't do this to me. It has its moments. Don't do uh, this to me. Otherwise, boring. <laughs> stop. Oh, so boring, dude. Don't do this. 
this? So boring. <laughs> Don't do again, this. Again, same problem. I'm like, who fucking cares? I got nothing out of this movie. Why Woody Allen get out of this movie? You have no place here. I'm sorry. You can you can add one little theme here and there, but you, like, oh, you're go a TV home. writer again. Oh my yeah. god. Oh, god. Oh, fuck you off. Duck. Oh my a god. A struggling TV writer again. Yeah. Ooh wee. I think it's uh, it's a it's not a bad movie. It's good. It, you know, it gets it hits like yeah. a very standard mark for me. Uh, dude, I I mind absolutely nothing from this movie. It's fine. It's whatever. What do you think, Jabril? Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I literally fell asleep watching it. That's how boring it was. <laughs> oh, no. The 1% don't like- talking about their ennui. Boring. Uh, boring. It's like boring. the adverse. It's like, oh, th- what's the drama here? Oh, he's just trying to kill the white. Is that it? Uh, okay. Upper class white people talking about their problems. Ragtime jazz score. Check. Woody going to see a movie with yep. a teenager. Check. Here we yep. go. Thanks, Woody. It was, it was more apparent here than I think any of his other movies. Where I'm just like, Jesus, same tricks again and again. And it was annoying. And I was like, I just want Zelig back. <laughs> so, Yeah. It's 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 good. It's the it's, difference where I, I think where we part is like. I, never mind. Never mind. No, no. Continue, <laughs> please continue. What do you mean? Yeah, no, because um, what was the other one? I've already forgotten the names of these. Uh, Hannah's sisters, Hannah Han- Han- and, and her, her sisters. sisters. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's the first movie uh, out of everything on this list where it seems like he's framing himself as a loser, where it's like he's not afraid to show himself as kind of pathetic. And I know you guys say in Manhattan that the framing in that movie, it it, sh- it, it kind of frames all the characters as kind of despicable. I, I don't see it that way. I see, like, I, I think he admires a lot of these people, the upper crust of the New York art scene and the intellectuals here with mm-hmm. this movie. And I, I think with crimes and misdemeanors to an extent, I think he's condemning, condemning them to a certain extent. That's yeah. what I'll say. But you can't say Not- yeah, no, not enough. I, I no. don't know. I just don't care about anything that no. happens to any of these people. It's just, it's like, okay, John Land, if you, you go, or Martin Landau, you want to go <laughs> kill your your mistress, I go ahead. I haven't invested enough in you to, for it to matter to me whatsoever. And Although he's good in this movie. He's good in this yeah, movie. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, yeah, everyone's good in this movie. Um, but it's the same thing with Woody. It's like, oh, you feel bad about everything going on with Mia Farrow. Well, too bad. She's not attracted to you. I don't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> it was just, I don't know. I just didn't give a shit Bro, about any Bro, you can't just, like, summarize the movie and say, I don't give a fuck at the end of the sentence. That's not a legit criticism, dude. You it, can't it, just it, you can't just recite plot points. What do you want as, me to as say? As if that plot point is self-evidently un, uninteresting. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just telling you I didn't find the movie entertaining. <laughs> What do you want from me? It's not I'm, entertaining. It's I'm boring. Very, I'm very hurt. I'm very hurt. <laughs> it's it. it's a boring movie. It's 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 plain. It's milk toast. It's it's paint by numbers. Woody. I don't know. Maybe if I saw this one earlier, I would have appreciated it more. But like, I mean, Jesus, Purple Rose of Cairo is a lot better than this. Oh my God, yes. All right. Oh. Uh, let's let's <laughs> dig into this for a second. Um, <laughs> three words: Alan fucking Alda. <laughs> Yes, and that's what I mean when I say the movie has moments. Let's, be, let's, <laughs> let's begin with this. This is yes. not only my favorite Alan Alda performance of all time, it is perhaps my favorite performance in any Woody Allen movie. Okay. He is 
off the chain in this movie. <laughs> He yep. is on another level in the. I know Martin Landau's great, and that's a more meaty performance, obviously. And you're going to give him the Oscar nomination before Alda because his role is much smaller. But he chews the scenery every scene he's in, and this is one mm-hmm. of the great icons in all of show business. Alan Alda is amazing in this. The yep. line, "If it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it's not." Is something my father and I quote to each other. I'm not kidding you at least on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most quoted lines ever in movies. This is the reason why I think I love this movie so much. My father introduced me to it. Uh, we always say to each other, bend but don't break. Every, in anything we do, bend but don't break. If you're going to have a difficult conversation with someone, you want the conversation to bend and not break, right? That's what comedy is. You get right up to the line until you draw blood. And then you've gone too far, which I think, by the way, is a philosophy that Woody Allen does not subscribe to because a lot of times his movies draw some blood and his comedy is goes for the jugular and it is uh, bruising and it is honest and sometimes it offends. And Alan Alda, I think, is this idea of the guy who sold out the comedian that probably had a lot um, uh, a lot of talent, but decided to make inoffensive non-intellectual art and yes. he resents that mm-hmm. because Woody has never sold out I think that is one thing we can safely say about Woody Allen he has not sold out at any point in his career he continues to make the stuff that he wants to make um, I, I think this movie is uh, just a, again a master class of screenwriting it's a master class the way that these two stories weave in and out of each other I, I, I we should set up there is Woody's story. There's Martin Landau's story. The two do not intersect until the final scene. Both experience infidelity in different ways. Martin Landau goes to the extreme and kills his mistress. Woody Allen uh, is dumped by his mistress. And at the end, they are left to contemplate what happened to them. And, you know, that last scene is amongst the great scenes in his entire filmography. And I, I love how the two contemplate morality, the nature of existence, the existence of God. If God is an active participant or a passive participant in our lives, are we ultimately going to be judged for this? Are we going to get our comeuppance? Will justice be served? Or am I going to be able to kill my mistress and get away with it? <laughs> I think the movie doesn't quite come to a conclusion, but I do think that it's an interesting inversion of many stories like this that we've seen, where the guy that kills his wife is able to move on and Woody Allen who has been wronged in many ways or is just like a lovable loser who can't find his own way in the world has to continue to suffer not many movies of this kind end on such an ambitious note and yeah come out saying yeah Martin Landau's gonna win and Woody Allen's gonna lose and that's life people like that's a really existentially mature theme to end a movie on, and it's perhaps his most mature script. It's it's really smart and really interesting. I think he often cites Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, Woody, when he talks about this movie. Similar themes: guy commits a crime and is left with uh, the fallout, and is uh, left to contemplate his wrongdoings. That mo- that book, that novel, ends the complete opposite way. So I, I just think like it's a really interesting inversion of what is a century old theme and idea, uh, guilt and remorse and 
justice and God's involvement in all of it. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Um, I have another. I have another name for this movie. Okay. White privilege. The movie. See that? That's fucking unfair, <laughs> dude. That's unfair. The, rich, it, the ruling class. The movie. Like you can say that about Manhattan. I don't think you can say that about crimes and misdemeanors. I, I understand that criticism when it comes to Manhattan. I think here, like this is the, the idea of existential dread is a pretty like universal theme, yeah. right? It's just weird hearing it come come out of these people's mouths. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if the if the movie, if you look at it on paper, certainly ends on a very very bleak note. I just think that with Woody Allen's style here, it actually didn't work very well. I mean, for me anyway, like it's 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 supposed to be a much more like almost tragic idea that the movie leaves you with. And I'm left with like, oh, well, that was cheery, I suppose. And it's sort of f- like flatlines at the end. Like, yeah, I, that's I was the point. Really? I do. Yeah, no, I do. I think you're supposed to leave the theater with a sense of uncertainty. No, I'm not talking about uncertainty. I'm I left being like, that's it. Is, oh. that, all, is, that, all, is that it? Oh, <laughs> Like, okay, well, that was anticlimactic. Like, I get that the movie is meant to be like, you don't know really, like, like w- when life is going to throw you a bone or when it's going to completely kick you in the ass. Like, mm. that's fine. It's just like, there was nothing, like, endearing about it. There was nothing, like, it didn't, I know it doesn't take a stance, but it's so aloof that I was just like, was what was the point of that? You thought it was aloof? Yeah, I'm, I just didn't think it really cared. I don't know. It doesn't commit to... It's like, if you're going to, like, really play up these themes, you have to, like, explore them in a way that feels a little... Like, like as if it's in love with them. And, I mean, I don't know. I just didn't think it, it gave much of a shit. I I, I, I felt very, uh, like, like cold by the end of it. Let it me ask you a question. What? It was you're ponderous, good. would you say? No, I don't... I'm saying it was not ponderous. I, I walked away from it, and I'm like... Okay, yeah, I don't care to even think about mm. what that movie was getting at. Like, I, I know what it was saying, but I don't care to think about it any further was sort of my response. That's all I did at the end of this movie is I thought about it. <laughs> I I for, I've already forgotten a lot about it. <laughs> oh, man, this is so upsetting. Uh, yeah, I, Let I, me ask I you a question. Back, back to this whole pretentious, uh, aloof idea. Because I think it is a little pretentious. Okay. Right. I, I like. I really like Alan Alda in the movie. Like anytime he's on screen, it's just jazz, and I love it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. Other than that, I'm like, yeah. It, this movie, you could have cut about. I, I, you could have cut about an hour out of this movie. Make it a short film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How, it's so dense. The story is so dense. There's is so much going dense, on in the though? script. Of course, Are there you, is. Really? Uh, yes. I don't. I don't know if it has that much to there offer. There are two complete narratives happening simultaneously. There's yeah. a lot going on here, dude. There's yeah, two movies in one. I'm not sure the back and forth worked for me either. I don't oh, think I they thought, did. Judge. I thought they echoed each other beautifully. I really did. No, I loved no. It. it. It it felt totally natural to me. But anyway, back to really? this question. That's strange. Woody is sitting there with the philosopher. He's doing two documentaries at the same time. One of his brother-in-law, Alan Alda, and that's like just a puff piece. And the other is like this meditative uh independent documentary where he just films a philosopher for 90 minutes mm-hmm. you watch that scene and you how do you take that where, where he's talking to the philosopher yeah do you believe that that's high art or do you think that woody is poking fun at himself there oh boy uh i don't think it's clear either way mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't think the film was making it obvious one way or another, which is not a bad thing. But you guys seem to be implying that that scene is supposed to be taken seriously. I mean, maybe it could. Because, again, I think like we're meant to laugh at that. I think we're meant to look at that film that he's making and think, wow, what a snoozer. Sure. Do you know? Because Woody, Woody Allen, the filmmaker, would never make a movie like that. I guess. His character, that- Cliff, is as obsessed with this documentary film, but it's clearly so boring. Like, yeah, that movie right, is clearly but- milk toast. Woody Allen doesn't make movies like that. No, I think that all this stuff with Alan Alda is funny, though, and you're laughing at all that, sure. No, I think you're laughing no. at both of it. I, I No, I don't think you're meant to believe that that documentary, that philosophical documentary, is supposed to be high art. I think you're supposed to be like, jerk off motion, look at this guy. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't really, again, I didn't really care about the guy. Again, it's another instance where it's like he's talking about stuff that's like, whatever. It feels a little more honest than, or rather, it feels a little more to the heart than something like uh, what we got out of Alan Alda's character, I suppose. I, it, but the thing is, it's always matched with Woody Allen like sitting and watching something that he actually loves. So that was a little more powerful for me, and that seemed like it was a little more honest. Whereas like the entire time he's going back and forth with uh, um, Alan Alda's character. Did I say Alan Alda or Woody Allen? I don't know. I'm confusing the names. Who, who now. are you speaking on right now? When Woody Allen's character is watching his own movie with the with the philosopher, yeah, it's it seems like he actually like it, like it means a lot to him, and the movie is is shot in a way where it feels like it means a lot. Whereas, like when you get to Alan Alda and the documentary surrounding him, it's just a big joke and it's kind of a farce, and it's really funny to see him just kind of tear this guy apart by matching it with Mussolini videos. <laughs> And that was that was funny. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if, if we're supposed to laugh at that scene that you're talking about. I mean, it's not very funny. Well, not th- I, I just think that we're meant to believe that he's full of shit. Not, not necessarily that it's supposed to be funny, but I but I like Jabril implies that this is a movie about rich people doing rich things and yeah. watching pretentious documentaries about philosophers at a university is a rich person thing. Again, I, 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 I don't think we are meant to believe that, you know... That's not quite what I was... So the questions that he ponders in this movie and other movies, these philosophical questions, these schools of thought, I'm not, a, of course, not opposed to them. But I think coming out of the mouths of these characters, it just rings kind of hollow. And I think... I don't know. I don't think he has anything interesting to say on these topics. I just think he's patting himself on the back and jerking himself off. And that's what I I mean, where it kind of just, it came to like a lull for me. And that's why I was like, oh, like, that's it. I mean, fine. But you didn't really say anything to me. He's just really satisfied with himself. It seems like. I think think he said a lot, though. I think he said a lot about faith. I mean, the the blind rabbi is punished for no reason. And like, but you can also read the movie as eventually this, these people will get justice for what they've done. It's just a matter of time. You know, God operates in mysterious ways. Um, like, I don't know. I think that stuff's really interesting. I think the nature of existence is really interesting. Yeah. Watch a serious man. I'll watch that. Thank you very much. Hell yeah, dude. No, hell serious yeah. But I a love serious, a serious man. 
But a serious man, the difference between this and a serious man is that a serious man is entertaining. Oh, <laughs> see, the, but this movie is so very it's not a rich doctor talking in, talking in a room to a it's rich TV like, writer. It's like, go fuck yourself. I just yourselves. don't care about, yeah, I don't, I just did not care about these people. There was nothing charismatic about any of them. I don't know. A lot of it in this sense, I mean, it's it's entirely relying on the characters and it's entirely entirely relying on how they are shown throughout the, the course of this story. And it just felt very like like bland to me. I don't know. They, they nothing about them was 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 getting me interested. It's like the ideas on paper. I say this all the time where it's like just because you have a great idea that does not mean it's translated well to film, which is why I fucking hate Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and it's it's very similar here where it's like I do see a lot of these wonderful ideas that that he's playing around with that could have been much more if I was at least enraptured by what's going on with these characters. And I, I don't know. I'm just not. And that's just me, you know. Man, I'm I'm um I'm upset. <laughs> I made you watch two Woody Allen movies and you didn't like them. Yeah, I didn't like them. Man, is Blue, ja- is so Blue Jasmine like this? Blue Jasmine, uh, at a glance, seems like very similar to this movie. Very similar mm-hmm. class of people talking about similar things. It's m- it's much more critical of them, I think. Even okay. to me, at least, more so. It sort of ends on another note where you're like, I'm not entirely sure what the change is here, but the movie is a ton of fun and Cape uh, Blanchett is remarkable in the movie. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we need to explore this idea a little further, though, because it seems like you're a lot more sensitive, Jabril, to the to the, the class differences in movies. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, really bothersome to you. Uh, it's hard to relate to them is the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. They just is just a completely different type of human being, and especially and it's so funny because Woody Allen never portrays the character like like Woody Allen's filmmaking style is very like down to earth. So to see him you know tackle these people in a lot of ways is just kind of strange sometimes. Like there's there's a bit of a disconnect there in a way, but I, I don't know. Let like, me I ask you this though: Wouldn't it be more dishonest for Woody to hide from his fame and fortune? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I Scorsese, so. Scorsese always says, write what you know. Mm-hmm. And at first, Marty made movies about the mob because like that's where he grew up around mobsters and crime and New York City. Right. And I think like as Marty got older, he started making movies about upper class people and sometimes more fantasy and and uh, true, true. You know, but they're, like the aviator, for example, right. is not a movie mm-hmm. that he would have made in the 70s or 80s. Mm-hmm. So like. Woody, as he became a superstar and one of the most influential and important filmmakers of his generation, uh, yeah, I think 30 years into his career, it's safe to say that his perspective on the world is going to change. And I think I would prefer that his movies and material evolve with him. I don't know. True. true. I, I think the themes are there. I mean, just after seeing a couple of, the, a couple of these, he's concerned with death, love, mm-hmm. Uh, God, existentialism, those themes seem to run through a lot of his movies. Same thing with Scorsese, the theme of brotherhood, loyalty, corruption, somewhat nihilism, would guilt. you say? What was that? Guilt. Guilt is, guilt. Guilt is yeah. enormous. I, I think nihilism towards the end, yeah. I think so. And it runs yeah. all the way through the Wolf of Wall, from Mean Streets all the way to the Irishman to Wolf of Wall Street. So it's not, I, I don't think it's quite the same thing as Woody Allen here. Just having these sorts of conversations with these types of people in their giant lofts in New York. 
with their six figure careers. It just, it just, it, it rings hollow for me and it just kind of, I, yeah. I know I under I understand that where it's like the, just seeing them do it is just like there's just a veneer of of dishonesty to it no yes. matter what you'd like like even if you love the movie I, I I could see a lot of people watching it and just being like like come on dude what do you really know I mean do, mm-hmm. do you do, do, is are these problems really that real to you you know yeah, coming exactly. from like you said that person in that white castle it's like mm-hmm. seriously so mm-hmm. I, I I understand that and and there might even have been a little bit of me saying like dude like I don't I again like fuck you <laughs> I was saying that to pretty much every character in the movie so, so. man so y'all better avoid succession like the plague that's no I'm I'm gonna watch that I'm gonna watch that show okay careful it's, I don't I don't think it's the same thing from what I've seen I, it's not the same thing okay okay Adam McKay has a point of view on those people. It's certainly yeah um yeah well, there's there's a point of view <laughs> still a lot of, lot of a lot of fancy apartments in that show no, sure. that's true that's true <laughs> a lot that's of fancy true. apartments and a lot of talk about mergers and trust funds and shit oh boy you know what i'm saying yeah anyway okay. uh just alan alda again alan alda yes yep. amazing in this uh and by the way that character based on larry gelbert the creator of mash the character uh-huh. that obviously Alan Alda worked with very closely over the years. Um, cool. One of the great TV writers of all time, one of the great comedy writers of all time, but a man that Woody Allen and Alan Alda could not fucking stand. Uh, shit. Makes and sense. I know a lot of that dialogue was improvised on set. And I think even that line, Ben don't break is a, is a, uh, is a quote from Larry Gelbert. So huh. there you go. It's awesome. A, it's a fine, it's a fine movie. I don't particularly love it, but it's fine. All right. Well, let's do this then. One gets into the Movie Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, I have my pick. <laughs> I, guess, I also have my it, pick, but I mean, Jabril is here. That's true. I am. Uh, I have my pick as well. All right. So let's cross out some, <laughs> shall we? Okay. Let's yes. cross out a couple. Manhattan. Um, that's gone. <laughs> wow. We're eliminating Manhattan. I mean, if... We- I, mean, I mean, we can. Two other people, I love it, you, you guys know. I, if you want to put it in, that's it's your show. Go ahead. No, no, no. I love it. I love it. I love it. But I, I don't see it getting in. Okay. Okay. We'll get rid of it. There it goes. Annie Hall, forgettable movie. It doesn't deserve to be in anything. Oh my, oh all right. God. Settle down a second. Let's all take a chill pill. Can we get rid of Purple okay. Rose of Cairo? Is that fair? Sure, I sure, guess. Sure. It's not iconic. It didn't really influence anything. It's a nice self-contained story, but I don't think it's even close to the best movie. And Yeah, yeah, I guess. All right. Okay, there it goes. And crimes and misdemeanors can go as well. That is sinful that you say such a thing. Into the uh, trash. But I will, I will oblige you. I will oblige you, even okay. though I would vote for that to get in. So we're left with Annie Hall, Zelig, and Hannah and her sisters. Jabril, if you had to pick one, which would you pick? Zelig. Adam, if you had to pick one, what would you pick? Zelig. Okay, why? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's very obvious to go Annie Hall. I mean, again, it's like, ugh, we do this a lot where it's like we, we, we pick the, the blatantly obvious one. And I don't know. I think Zelig is a much more interesting choice, and I still think it's a worthy choice as well. I think it's it 
certainly deserves a, a spot in the movie hall of fame. I would not call it uh, the, 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 the one with the greatest legacy or even the one that's the most impactful, but there is something about it. There's something about it that just speaks to me a little bit more. If we're going by our rules, fine, but you know, like this, I, I still think this is an interesting choice. Is there any argument to be made for Hannah and her sisters? No. Um, possibly. <laughs> Has the better legacy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, uh probably the bigger influence over Zelig, not Annie Hall though. Uh hmm, I'm not sure. I mean Annie Hall clearly probably. wins he, on influence he, right. and, and legacy. De- yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Definitely wins on those two fronts. Mm-hmm. I understand what you, what you guys are hung up on. Uh Jabril hates the movie. So that's a problem. <laughs> is that it, it's it's hard to put a movie in that somebody that is deciding on hates. Yeah. Yeah, I, and and no, you're in. That's the thing. It's like I I love Annie Hall. Don't get me wrong. I, it's just it's it wouldn't bother me if it got in. It just it's just it's just so obvious. It's like well, I, I mean, this know. movie definitely should be in the movie Hall of Fame, though. Like I, yes. I, I just keep coming back to that. This is one of the important American films. You guys mm-hmm. can do two. You've done that before. You can do two. Yeah, we can. No, that's fucking pussing out. We're not doing that. You yeah. guys did Blade Runner and ET. You guys want another one of those shows? No, oh I definitely no, do not want I another one of those. I shows. don't want uh, another one of those. Fuck that. All right, well, you guys got to pick two then. <laughs> all right, I will cross out Hannah and her sisters then. Okay, for Adam's okay. sake. Man, I'm being very nice here. I'm just crossing out all my favorites. <laughs> Hannah and Crimes are probably my two favorite. To be honest with you, really? Yeah, wow. I think so. I think so. Okay. Okay. All right, so we're down to Annie Hall and Zelig. One is the obvious choice. One is um, the ambitious choice. Yes. And I will vote for Annie Hall. Hmm. And Jabril okay. will vote for Zelig. And Adam Hall is in the middle. Oh, boy. So have at it, <laughs> sir. Have at it. Oh, boy. Oh, oh wait. Do, do I, I have the final say? Yes, you do. I don't like that. Yeah. Yes, you do. No, I you don't. liar! You don't like that. You love no, it. I don't love it. I don't love Zelig. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! Great. Man, that is a weird choice, but okay, very well. <laughs> Why not? Why no? I, it does feel bad because I I I, I absolutely adore Annie Hall. I, I don't know. I just every once in a while I do like changing it up a little bit on the show because it's it's a it's a stupid movie Hall of Fame thing that we got. It's just it's whatever. Mix it up. Get a wild yeah, card. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to take it too seriously. Well, there is a wild card in there now. Zelig, congratulations. There you go, guys. That's cool. Annie Hall had two bites at the apple and didn't get in either time. Damn. We're bound to have a couple second chance pods. That'll happen. You know, Fight Club will get in. That whatever, was the second chance. Is that it? <laughs> I think that's it. There should be a we maximum know. number of nominations. It's like you can only appear on the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame ballot 10 times. Yeah. And after Annie 10 Hall, times, you're out. Don't, it, it, Annie Hall and Zelig are my two favorite Woody Allen films. And I would say that Annie Hall's is on enough top 10, top 100 lifts, whatever. So fuck it. Let's change it up a bit. All right. Well, this has been uh, very unpleasant for me. I just yeah, want you to know that. Um, <laughs> and, um, it's, it's 
<laughs> it's I not always going to work. I hope it was just as unpleasant for you too. Oh, I loved it. It was. Thank you. <laughs> I had a great time. Jabril, give us a year. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh. Uh, you guys want... Mm, let me give me one moment. Preferably something pre or post 1980 or so, because we've been doing a lot of oldies. Okay. Uh, let me see here. So, yeah. Come on now. Do you want a list of years? Oh no, mm. I have one. I'll start with 80. 1980. Ready? 19 what? 86. 86. Ooh. The year of Hannah and her sisters. All right. All right. Let's see. Have we ever done 86? No, I don't think we have. That's aliens, right? Oh, interesting year. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Whoa. Oh, boy. Look at this. Oh, this is a very good year. Oh, my God. There may be a reason I uh, picked this year. You might see. What'd you get? Another chance. Oh, my God. This is a great year. Uh, Man, this is solid, dude. This is fucking packed. What are we going to do? This might be the best year of the 80s now that I'm looking at it. Woo. All right, I'll start. I'll start with Ferris Bueller. And I'll go Blue Velvet. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Give me a moment. Uh, You already said aliens. Okay. Uh, No, no, aliens has not been said. Aliens has not been said. Okay, then aliens. Good. Uh, and let's see here. Damn, Adam, you go. <laughs> really? Oh boy. Okay. Because uh, I need some time. <laughs> the fly. Oh shit! That's yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah, the fly. Mm-hmm. Well, I gotta say, platoon, right? You don't have to. Of course I have to. Platoon. You could say critters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jabril, go ahead. Okay, uh, last one. All right. Oh, my God. Uh, Manhunter. Ooh, wow. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, this is one of the ongoing debates on this podcast. I have not seen that movie in its entirety, though. Well, actually, yes, I have. Because the debate. I, I say that Manhunter is better than red dragon and i disagree and adam disagrees yes it's time to settle right. this well i'm, I, I'm I, gonna be watching that one i adore manhunter man there's a lot though that year dude tom top gun i'm okay with leaving off yeah, yeah. me too i'm also good with leaving off stand by me i guess because we talked about it already didn't we yeah oh yeah you're right you're right we have okay that's fair that's fair Big Trouble in Little China, Nico. You want to have a grand old... That movie is... Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so fucking awesome. Man, maybe Hoosiers 2 should Hoosier, be on there. I was going to say Hoosiers. Uh, oh, boy. This is tough, man. This man, is a good Ho- year. Ho- Hoosiers is a snub, certainly. Hoosiers is a snub. I don't mind the color money. Yeah, no, color money's good. Yo, the best Friday the 13th came out this year. Which one? Part 6. Jason lives. <laughs> oh, it's God. awesome. No, it's an awesome movie. Okay. Don't laugh. <laughs> uh, All right, there you go. 1986, next week. Manhunter. Platoon. First Bueller's Day Off. Aliens. The Fly. And Blue Velvet. One of those six. And that's going to be a tough call, actually. 
Because I'm honest. looking at it right now. There's about three or four that I, I think could you could definitely make an argument for. Yeah, I agree. No, that's a great year. I didn't even realize how good that year was. Excellent year. We're doing it cool. next week. Cool. Uh, Jabril, thank you, as thank always. Thank you, guys. Thank and, you. Uh, stay I'll safe, check out everyone. more Woody Allens. I'll check out more Woody Allens, more Woody Allen movies now, so that's good. There's you. You would like Blue Jasmine, I think. Yeah? I think you would like it, yeah. Okay. I'm happy yes, that I popped your Woody Allen cherry. No. Thank you very Ugh. much, Nico. I, I, I was going to pop my old cherry, but you did it before me, you know? TMT.media. <laughs> Too many thoughts, media.com. That's where you can find all our podcasts. We are keeping you entertained during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, yeah, stay Watch safe. Contagion. Don't oh, watch God. Contagion. That shit is lit, man. That is, is a good. great movie. That is a great is. movie, and it is. it is totally inappropriate. I have not time. seen it. Woody wow. Allen's in it, so that's why. Is he in it? No. no. <laughs> You've never seen Contagion? No. You guys oh. should do that. You guys should do that. The Soderbergh pod? Yeah. That. We yeah. almost did um, Outbreak on, on Why Is This a Thing this week, but... Okay. Adam Vito. I, I refu- dude, it's 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 a non-movie. <laughs> it's on Netflix though. It's like been in the Netflix top ten for a couple weeks now. Yeah, that's because it's called Outbreak. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, yeah. Wash your hands. Uh, yes, and uh, try not to kill your children during this time. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> your grandparents. Keep them safe. Nico, that's great advice you just gave there. Try not to kill your children. I never would have thought of that. And don't hug grandma. Don't hug grandma. <laughs> <laughs> she can wait a couple months. Yes. All right. That's it. Uh, we love you. And uh, please come back next time. <laughs> it's just la-di-da. La-di-da. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>